everyone. Welcome to That Triathlon Life podcast. I'm Paula Findlay. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Nick Goldston. We come to you every week with all things triathlon and life. Uh, we have a lot of good questions this week. Eric and I are both professional triathletes. Nick is an amateur triathlete, straight back from Italy, visiting his parents. A little bit sick, um, but yeah, we're yeah. happy to be here. Nick is sick. We're not sick. We're having a sick day. You guys are sick, but I'm sick. Yeah. Yeah, Nick is mm-hmm. sick. Nick had to do a long haul flight while sick. Can you think of anything worse? It was, and then I slept. I got in at three a.m., slept three hours, and then went to <laughs> rehearsals from ten a.m. to six p.m. for a couple of festivals. I'm playing with Trixie. Wow, artist grind, man. By the way, I'm going to be in Vancouver for the first time playing one of these festivals. BC. Yeah. Oh, nice. you're going to Canada. Yeah, going to Canada. Um, playing a festival called Happy Land. Um, cool. And then we're also playing a festival called Outside Lands in San Francisco. And then I'm still deciding if I'm going to play Just for Laughs once again in Canada. So two you of these should. are in Canada. I've watched so much stand-up from, from that festival, but I didn't know there was music. But apparently there's a whole music thing too. Yeah, I didn't know there was music either. That's, you guys will be lucky if Nick is on the pod in a couple months. He's getting so famous. That's not true. This is still my number one priority. <laughs> this is still the most fun I have all week. Okay, good. Okay, good. Uh, So what's going on? We mentioned it on the podcast last week, but Eric did this crazy 100-mile mountain bike race. And anyone who's done like just a regular century on the road, you know how drained you feel after 100 miles riding a, a bike. And when you ride that on dirt, in the heat, racing, sweet Eric, I don't know how you made it out alive. It was a little warm. (laughs) <laughs> but um, but it started at 5.30 a.m. So it wasn't hot the yep. whole time. It was a very early start. Uh, I was extremely hot between like miles 55 and like 75 as we were climbing and the wind was at our backs a little bit. And on a mountain bike in the dirt, you're going five miles an hour. Right. So it's you're just- fully slow. You're just baking. That got a little hot and I had to slow down for that. But otherwise, I, I feel like I fueled really well. I paced really well. I- I did pretty much everything well except for my cooling strategy. And I'm pretty interested to do another one of these and specifically this one again, just to see if I can nail that in and go for the win. I, I got I got fourth. I was about 25 minutes back from first. First place was flying. But second and third place, I was actually fighting for third at one point in time. And fighting is like kind of a, a strange term in a hundred mile mountain bike race because you're like chatting with the guy you're riding with. Like, oh, right. I've, seen your, right. I've seen your YouTube. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's a pink kid. Do you want to stop at the next aid station? Yeah, they usually have gummy bears. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then just like one of you feels good and you're like, all right, later. I guess you're beating me. Oh, really? It's that, it's that. It's so funny. I'm like watching all the Tour de France like highlights and it's definitely not that vibe. <laughs> no, not so much. It was, it was really interesting because I mean, having only raced 70.3, you know, four hours and down and um, you're on a TT bike and you're going really fast and you can't draft. It's it's a different dynamic and you're just alone in your head. And um, I guess we could back up a little bit because this kind of leads into the into the story of the whole thing. But um, in the first in the opening miles of the race, I had a kind of a strategy to just like ride my power, a power that I thought was realistic for early on in the race. And the race pretty much started with uh, like an hour long climb, partially on fire road and partially on single track and. Um, the lead group of guys was like probably 10 or 11. And I kind of, I let them go probably 30 minutes in and I actually pulled up my power from the thing. Oh, right. You have power on that bike. That's awesome. Yeah. I do have power on my sweet swerks. So for the first 30 minutes, we were a little bit on road and there was a little bit of a neutral zone. I averaged only 217 Watts, but then the second 30 minutes, I averaged 294 Watts. Ooh, spicy. Which, a little spicy. And the normalize is going to be significantly higher just because of, oh, there's a little bit up and down and, and things with mountain biking. And then the next 30 minutes, I averaged 273 watts. But I distinctly remember. Oh. Yeah. Which, like, in a, in a 70.3, I'll typically average, like, 305-ish on yeah, a good day. Yeah, but that bike, this is, that's like a two-hour bike ride. This is exactly so much This is longer. seven hours. This is also, like... Power does not tell the full story on a mountain bike. Anyone who mountain bikes with a power meter yeah. knows this. There's so much True. more energy expenditure to ride a mountain bike. Yeah. yeah. And so, mental energy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're having to pick your line and making sure, like, there is it was very dusty. Sand has the, uh, Bend has this, like, moon dust sort of thing going on in the summertime. And if you're riding in one spot on a dirt road, it could be 
completely different than if you're writing in the center where it's been packed down or not blown out or whatever. So I let the lead group go in the first little bit. And then I just started picking people off. After an hour and a half, I went by a couple guys like they were standing still. Like they'd gone so hard in the first hour. Right. And we still had six hours at least oh, God. to go. And that was pretty brutal. And it was just kind of like every every 30 minutes, I was passing another guy from this lead group, passing another guy from this lead group. And it was, but like, I think where I was going with that initially is I would, you would catch somebody like, oh, hey, how's it going? You're looking good. I'm kind of bored. You know, when they, <laughs> like, they start to like try to engage because like right. in their mind, they did not want to be doing a seven hour bike ride by themselves and neither did I. Right. But at the same time, like, man, I got to stay focused. If I keep, if I stay focused and, you know, keep the power on where this person has obviously lost a little bit of focus, I can keep picking people off. And it's, it's a wild concept to think I've got five hours left to go and I could catch, I could theoretically catch the leader right. in hour seven oh, and I'm God. in hour one, you know, and you just need to be mentally prepared to do, perform well in that last hour. Did you have any uh, anything special up on your bike computer? Did you did you kind of study the route at all beforehand? I'm just thinking about your sister Elise racing and yeah. how she she knew that stuff, but she didn't have any of it on her watch. Yeah, I uh, I was also thinking of Elise <laughs> when I was baking and and going five miles an hour and thinking right. I cannot <laughs> absolutely cannot imagine that. running this. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, like at least I have downhills here where I can just fly at like 35k an hour and I'm entertained by turning and going yeah. over rocks and all the things. I think ultraunners feel like that about descending on foot too though. A little bit, yeah. No, that's true. Um, but it's I mean, you can just look at some of these these power numbers though. I was like 275. So this is like hour three. I was 275 for 30 minutes and then 249 for 30 minutes and then 237. And then I go down to 177. And these are yeah, all 30 minute splits. There you go. And so that 177 is probably normalized like 230, but just like accelerating out of corners and trying to hit jumps and not crash and all that, you know. I'm still surprised that you're throwing in like 277 in there though. I don't know why I did not expect you to ever hold anything that high for such a long day. I feel like Eric's numbers on the mountain bike row is really high. They're definitely better. Um, and on the TT bike, like the, the position or the yeah. torque or I don't know, something. It, yeah. I think it's easier to get bigger power, but. Yeah. P part of the reason that I've been experimenting a little bit more with the mountain bike this year is because it doesn't bug my hip as much. And I feel, I don't have these big chunks of time like I do on the TT bike where my left glute is just completely numb and not working and everything. And so I feel like I've been able to ride pretty well on the mountain bike. Um, but I... One of the things that I, I feel like I really nailed actually was the nutrition strategy. And I felt the same way when I did my first 70.3 of like the last, the only thing that I feel like is completely in my control and that can make my experience better is fueling this properly. So I actually, I hit up, um, you know, Brad from Precision Hydration. Course, I hit him we up. Love Brad. <laughs> this was ridiculous, right? Like two nights before the race, I'm texting Brad. And then the night before the race, I'm texting Matt Lieto. Like, hey, do you have any tips? <laughs> riding your bike really far. What is and Matt your first Lieto, time, bro? <laughs> yeah, both of them gave me great tips. And Matt Lieto sent me some things like, oh, get a, you know, get a little lunchbox and fill it with ice and a camelback of ice. I'm like, cool, I can't buy any of those things. So right. I'm just going to have warm <laughs> water bottles, I guess. Uh, but I talked with Brad a little bit. And what I ended up doing was I they have this uh, like 1,000 mix, PF 1,000, which I think has like 1,000 milligrams of sodium. I'm not exactly sure on the exact science, but it worked for me. And I put two scoops of that into each one of my bottles, plus half of one of those like two big. You did two scoops in each bottle. Two scoops in each bottle, which is like the recommended amount. And then I did a half of one of their their big gel packets because I didn't have any just straight maltodextrin. And I actually did this all in a blender and everything. And I went through eight bottles like Damn. that. Each bottle having seventy five grams of carbs. So Zach and I were adding it up afterwards because I didn't, and he said I was like. Somewhere like 950 grams of carbs for the whole oh. thing. When you factor in, I did two more of their gels with 100 milligrams of caffeine, plus like a Dixie cup of peanut butter M&Ms and nice. a couple picky bars. Right. And so I never really, I never bonked. I just had this issue with, with being overheated as we were climbing. And I think that could have been resolved by just having a better strategy with the yeah. camelback or bottles on ice or knowing 
at the aid station. It's like the 80 mile aid station. I was expecting ice, but then I got there and I was so brain dead and like heat fogged that they gave me my, my bag that I had dropped with my two water bottles. And I was just kind of like expecting someone to dump ice on me or I don't know what. And they're like, do you need anything else? And I was just like, I guess not. And yeah, just, right, and just right, rolled right. away. And then five minutes later, like, I want, I should have asked for ice. I should have asked for water. I should have done literally anything, but they just like handed me my bottles and I put them in my frame and in a haze, I just kind of got on my bike and kept going. Yeah. I mean, we've so, all done that. I feel like we've all done that many times when you're in like the craziness of something, you're like, oh, I was supposed to do all these things and I didn't do yeah, them. Totally. And that was, it was a really interesting thing we were talking to. So our friend, Sam, who takes all of our pictures and helps us out with TTL, her husband is like very into the ultra scene. And he was remarking as I was you know, kind of debriefing with him a little bit of how the difference between people who are volunteering at a bike race versus people who are volunteering at a ultra run. People at an ultra run know all these things that your person comes in completely brain dead. This is not going to occur to them to ask you for gummy bears. But if you have them, you need to just like put them in their pocket Right. And put ice in their face and, okay, do you want water or do you want ice straight? You know, it's not, what do you want? Because you have no ability to think critically or remember what your original plan was at that point. That's super interesting. I'm looking at your uh, Strava right now for this. And uh, there's a few things that are jumping out at me. First of all, you, it was a hundred, it was a little over a hundred miles. That's, so you're, yep. you're, you're, you, that actually was legit. Then your normalized power was... 252 yeah. for seven, seven plus hours. Yeah. That is, that seems like a lot. But then the thing I was looking at was that like your power curve, like your, your peak one minute power was 436 Watts. That seems really high. Your peak five minute power was 340 Watts. That seems crazy high. I hear those. And I, I honestly think those are pretty reasonable. God, I would just be so like scared to do that knowing as because like and even in your 20 minute power, three over 300 watts, that all of those came within the first climb. Yeah. And that I mean, I wasn't I was trying to like stay as controlled as I could, but also just see what it's like to start one of these long races because I know they go out hot. Um, so I wasn't quite as conservative as I maybe could have been. Mm-hmm. Um But do you have regrets? <clears throat> like or, or do you feel like not that preparing it actually, better? Not preparing better, but that's yeah. more so for the heat. Not not as much as you're like executing how much you use no. certain matches or whatever early on. No, I would say I, I I really nailed like using what I had in my body and with the preparations that I'd been able to do. I I think I nailed it pretty well. I feel like I had the the perfect tire. I had new tires. I feel like my suspension was set up pretty well, and I was quick in and out of the aid stations. The one thing that could have been better is if. I don't know if this is totally allowed, but I think it is. If if Paula or our friend Sam had been at the aid station and been able to like hand me the bottles and do the thing of like, here is ice. I know you want it. I know you need it. I think that the cooling is the biggest thing that would have had an impact and allowed me to potentially get second or third. Because that that time, it's like, let's see, where was it? Yeah, it was uh, like my 12th. 30 minute split. So whatever that is like going into at like the first half hour of hour six, we were climbing and I only averaged 218 Watts. Ah, right. And that was just like death March until I got over the climb. And as soon as I got over the climb, like five minutes later of going faster, I cooled off and could push power again and felt good. So that would be, I mean, next year do a little bit more mountain biking leading into it, preview every inch of the course and just put in a couple of like, over four hour rides prior yeah, to it. So is there anything that, since that's like the, the furthest you've ridden on a mountain bike, is there anything, and it's certainly the fur, furthest you've raced on a mountain bike, is there anything that surprised you with how your body reacted? Like like certain things that went first. Like for example, the next day you told me what was really sore was your triceps, right? Uh, yeah. Anything else like that? I'm, I'm honestly just like super impressed with how well it went. I think oh, yeah. being the first one and all the things that can go wrong, it just, it could have gone so much more wrong. I I crashed twice. Once was pretty basic, just like a soft corner, a lot of sand. And then the second one was not my fault. A recreational person not in the race was standing right in the middle really? of an incredibly intense feature that there's only one line through. 
and I was yelling at him to get out of the way, and he had on AirPods, didn't oh hear me. Oh, my gosh. And I had to go oh to, like, no. three inches to the right and fully endoed off of this, like, eight-foot-tall boulder. Whoa. And somehow, Did you land on your feet? No. No, I landed on my shoulder, my front wheel, like, my <sighs> front suspension fully bottomed out, my front wheel pinged. Oh, my God. Like, I thought, I thought my fork snapped off, or, like, at least I broke my wheel, and everything was fine. And I got up and just, <laughs> like, stared at the dude. He's like, oh, that's my bad. I was like, I don't, I just. <laughs> yeah, I, dude. Yeah, it's Bro, I can't even right now, so I'm just going to leave. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, that's really cool. And congratulations on fourth. That's, dude, thanks, man. I'm, that's I'm psyched. Amazing. I'm, I'm really to do, excited to do some more stuff like that in the future. Yeah, fun. Um, okay, then moving right along here. We talked about this last week. Um, when we recorded it, it wasn't out yet. But the film that Eric and I shot in Hawaii uh, for a foreign writer is finally out. It's on YouTube. You can find it. It's called Where Aerobic Meets Creative. That was like a last minute changed. Yeah, it's because the, the founder, Ralph, was really inspired by... Eric does this kind of, I mean, what I think is an amazing voiceover. And that's the last thing he says in the voiceover. Um, I won't spoil how he contextualizes it, but it's really cool. I, I think if you're a, an endurance athlete it's worth giving it a, a, a look because I think it'll speak. I mean, it really spoke to me when I heard it, but yeah. I, I'm obviously a little close to it. But yeah, find it on YouTube, Foreign Rider, where aerobic meets creative. Yeah, we put a, Nick and I put a lot into this. We went and filmed it in Hawaii. Nick did almost all of the editing. The colors are beautiful. The filming is beautiful. We tag teamed the concept and it's, I think, the best thing that we've been able to do creatively together today. Yeah, I agree. But I can't, I can't wait to do more. And I would love to do more with Ralph because I freaking love him. Yep. He gives us the reins. He, like, we all are on the same page, which yeah. is really he, rare to find. He just let us do whatever we wanted and it came out. <laughs> like we're, we're making the film to like <laughs> tell the world what your brand is about. And he just is like sitting in the car texting because he yeah. told us, he's like, you guys are just, I don't even know what you're doing, but I know it's good and I'm going to stay out of the way. Let me know yep. if you need something. Yeah. Which is um, awesome. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then last little thing, uh, we came out with the Color Block Collection. It came out on Monday. Uh, it was supposed to come out on Friday, but we actually, we, we wanted to build suspense. So it came out on Monday. Um, and uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff there. There's shirts, there's hats, there's shorts. I think it is hard to tell in a picture how it is, how it feels, how nice it is. And the shorts in particular, like they're a kind of short that you could use to run in. But Eric and I just wear them every day as like casual shorts. So rotating between colors and like, we literally never take them off. So I think for like hot temperatures, the summertime, getting them wet, like Eric will sit in the creek with them and they'll dry really quickly. Um, and we pick the colors ourselves. Like we got them dyed to the exact Pantone that we like. And so, yeah, just in general, I think that they're they're super comfortable and it helps to like kind of hear that in person versus just seeing a picture of them. So we love how all the colors turned out. We love how it all kind of matches. Um, even, even unintentionally, the hats match. Like that was kind of a, yeah. it wasn't really on purpose that we designed the hats to go with the shirts and everything, but they do. So yeah, it's been a long time since we actually, this is another thing <laughs> that people have, you know, asked about lately is, is we haven't put out like a cohesive collection all at one time in a little while because of just the supply chain issues with COVID and everything. It's been hard to like line up t-shirts and shorts and hats and everything all at the same time. And we really took a risk on this one and waited and got everything all in at the same time. So people who need international shipping, you can get a hat, you can get a shirt, you can get a pair of shorts all at the same time. It all looks great together. And we, it's, it's I, I, I know we make it look simple, but it, like we have put so much into this stuff and we love it so much and we just want everybody to enjoy it. And, and love it as much as we do. So yeah. if you got a second, check it out. That is that is a huge part of what TTL keeps TTL going. Yeah, it really is. Do we remember where we were when we were in that pizza place picking colors? Yeah, we shirts? were in, uh, it was after Indian Wells and we went straight from there to the wind tunnel, right? Oh, we were, yes, that's why I couldn't remember. Yeah, we were was in Morgan Hill. Yeah, it was Morgan Hill. We were in Morgan Hill. Hill at the Wind Tunnel, yeah. 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 And, and Nick and Eric and I were sitting in this pizza restaurant trying to pick colors and designs, designs. for this that's and so the cool. patterns and all that. That was And fun. then to see it like come to life, which is like seven months later is cool, but you almost forget how much work stress and it. work it took to do it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, the first day is always like an overwhelming response of people. So thanks to everyone who 
got stuff on day one and we do still have a lot left because we ordered a lot this time. So Yep. We heard everybody who is frustrated of missing out because they were at work and so we ordered more. We right. ordered extra. So yeah, we got nothing you. has sold out as of the recording of this podcast, right? No. Nope. Nothing sold out yet. That's no. great. The most popular things are the, maybe basically the, what women's you, shorts. What you wear. The women's olive shorts and the women's rose. Or peach, shirt. peach shirt. Yeah, peach things that I shirt. wear, people are sold out. The cool thing that we're doing this week, which we rarely are able to do because we actually have extra stock of this and we're out of water bottles, this week's podcast supporter is you can pick whichever piece from the color block anything, collection that you anything want. Anything from the new collection. Anything you want, it's up wow. to you. In your size. And we wow, randomly that's... selected a person and their name is? Amber Renton from we don't know where because Amber does not have an address. So Amber, you have to email us at thattriathlonlifebrand at gmail.com with your address and then let us know what you want from the website. And your size. Yes, and your size. Or we'll be sending an XXL. We'll do the same thing next week too, eh? Yeah. Yes. If we still have um, uh, inventory, we'll do it next week as well. Okay, cool. But that's awesome. So so Amber, just make sure you email us and we'll get you something. And and uh, I guess do it sooner, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Also, can we just say thank you to everyone who supports the podcast? It's amazing. Yes, we can. That's why the podcast exists. Yes. You guys, you guys help it go forward. Okay. And now on to questions. Um, and you can submit questions as well at thattriathlonlife.com slash podcast. That's another thing that really helps the podcast going is people submitting questions. Of which um, there are lots. Absolutely essential. Yes. Absolutely. I go through so many every week. Um, okay. Here's the first question. Hello, crew. I don't know how applicable this is for the three of you because you're all in much different place in your lives than myself and my wife. We're training to do our first 70.3 in September here in Michigan. We both work full-time, my wife being self-employed, with two teenage daughters at home still. Our biggest struggle is not getting the training in necessarily, but getting nutrition in in a timely fashion. More often than not, we end up eating late in the evening because we've worked all day and then train in the evenings. I know eating late is not ideal, but it's the only time we have. Have you done anything in the past or now as far as meal prep also, congratulations on your engagement and very happy for you. I met my wife through running. We've been together for six years now and are fully immersed in triathlon and love it. Thanks for all the awesome content. I found your podcast a little over two months ago and have listened to every episode and have waited until now to ask a question because I didn't want to ask a question that had already been asked. Thanks, Michael from Michigan. Wow. Uh, Michael, have you also watched the YouTube? <laughs> Michael, you should check out the YouTube. It's pretty epic. <laughs> um, so... That's a that's a good question. Uh, you guys don't really meal prep. We don't do stuff in terms of like make stuff early in the day so that we have a quick dinner because our early days are busy too. But what we do like to do is like go to Costco and get things that are fairly quick to make. Yep. Like that for was example, be my solution too. Yeah, they have like these chicken meatballs that we really like that are kind of pre cooked and they come in like the wrap and then you just pan fry them and put them in pasta with a bunch of veggies. And that's like a really big staple for us. So all the dinners that we kind of have in our repertoire, whether it's rice bowls with chicken or um, tacos, these pasta dishes, they're all pretty quick to make. They can come together in 30 minutes and we buy stuff that's still like organic and doesn't have weird ingredients in it, but is sort of almost ready to go so that it just requires reheating. And that's the way that we find that we can eat the healthiest, the quickest. Um, Sustainably. Yeah, I'm not a super big cook where I like look up recipes and buy all the ingredients and make. I, ideally, in my dream world, I would be, but realistically, it's really tough to do that. So we just try to have like four or five dinners that are quick to come together. And we do actually eat out kind of a lot, but the places we haven't been, it's like rice bowls and burritos and like stuff that we'd make at home anyway. And they're pretty healthy and we know what's in them. So I, we feel pretty good about it. But yeah. especially in the summer, it's just so easy when it's light until 9 p.m. to scoot over to Active Culture and get a rice bowl. <laughs> so we kind of fall into that trap a bit. But I don't think it's that bad, you know? No, I mean, when she says kind of a lot, it's like maximum three nights a week, I would say. Maybe two, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that there's something wrong with trying to get in really healthy full meals during the day, but then maybe if you're working out at night, finishing the night with... Uh, Kind of like a dense smoothie that's like maybe has spinach in it, has some. That's protein. what I was gonna say. 
I mean, it seems like, like that might be the time efficient solution there and still kind of getting somewhat of a balanced meal. Yeah, I, I would say if you don't know 100%, like just get in a smoothie of some sort, even if it's protein powder and almond milk or water, just like get something in so your body's not just in limbo for three hours slash till whenever it happens. So at least you're covered a little bit. You can fit a lot of calories in a smoothie. Oh, for And a lot sure. of healthy, like athletic greens type stuff. Right. Add a scoop of that and you get a lot of micronutrients and stuff like that without having to taste bad. I think- Without um, it tasting bad. I think triathletes or endurance athletes, we, we've got it in our head and rightfully so that you should be getting a lot of carbs in after you work out to replenish as quickly as possible for your next workout. But if your next workout is 24 hours later, like if you're always working out at night- there's plenty of time between that and the next day to like get carbs in, but just still definitely don't be going to sleep on an empty stomach. Like Eric said, get something in for sure. At I night. don't think people, it's so hard to sleep if you're hungry, at least for me. So yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a classically made like meat potatoes dinner. You can have like yogurt with granola and almond butter. I mean, stuff like that is really nutrient dense too. And it's quick. Do whatever you got to do. It's not like the picture perfect dinner, but on a pinch it can work. No, that's a good point. Like there's plenty of food that doesn't have to be cooked that is still has is nutrient rich. That can be that can be quick. Yeah, totally. Cool. Um next question here is from Jason. Hey Eric, Paula, and Nick. At 53, even and after decades as a road cyclist, I'm still relatively new to the athletic chess game. I love that. That is triathlon and learning lots from the podcast. Thanks so much for sharing all you do as I settle into training alongside such an awesome community. Here's the deal. On August 5th, I raced my first U.S. age group national championship in Milwaukee. And living and training in cool and dry Bozeman, Montana, heat has always been my Achilles heel, particularly during the run. The thought of adding Midwest humidity to anticipated 90 degree temperatures next month has me in a bit of a panic. Do you have any recommendations for how I can prepare for the incoming heat and humidity over the next couple of weeks? I know I won't place, so my expectations are managed, but the training has been going well and I'd love to drive towards Olympic distance PR. Thanks in advance. It'd be cool to hear your advice. Cool in, in quotes. There's a little bit of a pun there, Jason. So I did some research here, but I'm curious to hear what you guys have done, what you guys are doing since, Paul, you are racing that same weekend. You're doing the PTO US Open, right? Yeah, I'm racing in Milwaukee as well the same weekend and also have concern with the heat and humidity in the Midwest. Last year in Dallas, I did a hot tub protocol. So after the last session of the day, I'd get in a really hot hot tub up to my earlobes and monitor my internal temperature just with a thermometer. And I struggled in Dallas. So this year, my coach decided we were going to do a little bit more of an intentional, scientific, serious protocol where you're like actually exercising in a really hot environment, monitoring your core temperature. So that's what I've been doing to prep for Milwaukee. And I don't think it's too late to start that now if you just do it for like a week and a half. Yeah. And the 10 week to 14 races. days of training in hot weather is enough to incite measurable adaptations. Yeah, so I won't give away like my entire protocol, but basically it involves indoor training on the trainer or on the treadmill in a hot garage. Like I turn the space heater on and I'm wearing a thermal layer. So very uncomfortable, but I have a core sensor attached to my heart rate monitor, which is like this device that can measure your internal body temperature without putting a thermometer up your butt. Um, you can actually buy them at the feed. And my coach gives me like a ceiling of temperature that I can't go above, but it is a really uncomfortable temperature. And you're supposed to kind of maintain that zone for 30 to 60 minutes. And it's it's really miserable. And it's not about getting the highest watts or the highest pace that you can on the run. It's more about just like learning to exercise at that temperature. So that's yeah. what I've been doing. I don't know if it'll work. I ran TV. next to Paula on the treadmill today just for like moral support. Yeah. With nothing but split shorts on and a oh, fan wow. on me. And I was very uncomfortable. And she was over there, yeah, in like a merino base layer with Yikes. a space heater pointed at her. and No fan. With, wait, no. with the space heater pointed at you, really? Yeah. yeah. It's oh, really awful. God. Like, and I don't that, know if I care enough Like Paulo, <laughs> Paulo warned me that this is like a very effective but a very unpopular way to heat train because it's so hard. <laughs> 
And he's like, you're, you're going to be miserable for two weeks. But it's a relatively short session. They're like an hour. So mentally I can get through it. And I feel pretty okay after if I hydrate really well. And what we've been doing is kind of alternating these super heat sessions with like really hard quality rides outside. So yeah, it's like a really tough two weeks, oh, but he kind God. of warned me of that. And if it turns out that Milwaukee's not that hot, because it's not like Dallas. Right. It could not be as humid or as hot as I'm expecting because we're racing actually in the evening. You do still get a physiological benefit from heat training, similar to altitude training where your plasma volume goes up and your yeah. whatever. So he said that usually when, when he does this protocol with his ITU athletes, they're like flying after two weeks because it just physiologically ha has this, these changes as well, in addition to being heat acclimatized. So I don't know. I'm sticking with it, but it sucks. If you want to yeah. try it, <laughs> you should try it. Oh my it. God. But I would recommend getting one of those core sensors. They're $250. They're kind of expensive, but you don't want to get your body temperature too high. Like if I reach the ceiling that he tells me, I have to either walk or soft pedal on the bike. Like well, you can't just keep it going up and up and up and up. I have two questions about that. First of all, are you willing to share with us what that ceiling temperature is? Like how much it is, is it above a regular body temperature? Yeah, it's, it's, oh, a, yeah. it's a feverish temperature. It's, yeah. Like when, when I put the thing on, I'm at like 37.8. Which is like normal. And as I'm exercising Whoa, that's actually it, high. Well, I'm doing it as the last session of the day. So okay. I've already done some training. But yeah, it climbs into the mid 38s. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a plenty of like a, that's a fever. Um, yeah. And then my other question for you is going to be, it, 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 do you feel like if you didn't have that sensor on and someone wasn't telling you specifically to do this, do you think alarm bells would be going off in your head? Like you're way too hot. Stop what you're doing. Or no, is it still so within reason? It's interesting. Cause I like on the trainer, for example, I hit the ceiling at around 40 minutes and I'm supposed to ride for like 75 minutes. And I feel like I could keep holding the watts that I'm holding, like 170, 180, whatever. It's not hard, but it's still riding. But I can't because I can't let the temperature go up. So I don't hit the panic mode. And I don't know if it's just because mentally I'm going into these sessions knowing they're going to be very hard and right, very right, uncomfortable, right, right, right. but not in like a watt type of way where you're trying to push as many watts as you can and it hurts that way. So I don't know. I, I've never gotten into a panic state with it. And I think without the sensor, I'd keep pushing hard for longer than I necessarily maybe should. And then you would hit the panic. And then I'd hit the panic maybe right. later. Okay. Yeah. So now on the other side of this, we have Eric, who has had heat stroke before multiple times and who really does not, not like racing in the heat. So Eric, I'm curious about, I mean, do you just not do hot races now? For the most part, yeah. And... Once you got heat stroke the first time, did you feel that you were like that second one came much easier? Like there's just now this a quicker pathway to that? I don't know. It was so long ago. I think about this that physiologically, both Eric and I aren't super good at the heat. And I don't know if that matters where you grew up or your genetics. Like I grew up in the tundra of Canada, Eric grew up in Oregon. <laughs> we didn't have to experience humidity or heat growing up. So it's harder for us to adapt to it now. But I think that if Eric did a proper heat protocol, he could race in the heat and he'd be okay. Uh, like it's, a lot of it is about preparation for it, I think. I don't know. I, I I do think, and I've heard that this is a little bit of a thing, heat scarring. I think I might have a little bit of this where my yeah. body, it's panic button. Is lower. Is lower. Yeah. And Each forces time. me to shut down yeah. before I may have... That's true. Prior. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a thing that can be overridden with a lot of heat training. And I'm definitely getting better at, at exercising in the heat after having lived in San Diego and having now lived in Bend. I'm better in it. But the humidity is still something that my body just cannot handle. And also there is a degree of when I race versus I think sometimes when Paula races, I'm already... I'm not the strongest, fastest person in the field. I don't have much uh, red zone that I can dip into when I'm racing against the top athletes in the world. So, whereas if if Jan, you know, has to only go nine out of ten to be winning a race, he's gonna it's gonna look like he's handling the heat really well. Yeah, right? oh, that's interesting. Versus right. I'm going eleven out of ten to hang out hang with Jan, and I'm I'm hitting that panic button, that panic zone. So I don't know. That's just that's just kind of my thoughts. Is like, 
still fitness, being the most fit person is going to be yeah. beneficial in the heat. I agree. Um, so the little bit of research I did, I, I was, uh, I read an article by Conrad Goringer, uh, and one of the things, a couple of things here were, Paul, you already said them. First of all, it, it's like 10 to 14 days is enough to actually get some actual adaptation from it. Um, and like you said, like it's about, initially it's about increasing plasma volume so you can cool yourself more efficiently. Um, then the other thing is if you can want to actually do like hot sessions like Paul is doing, you don't have to do them as epic as Paul is doing them with like a, a, a space heater on you inside on a trainer. You can do them outside in the heat if you can, if you have access to heat. Um, and if you're going to do that, like if you're not used to working out in the heat, just keep them short and keep the intensity down. Like even Paula, who's one of the yeah. best triathletes in the world, those sessions are shorter and the intensity is low. Yeah. Like you don't, you're going to dig a hole real fast if you're not doing a workout. Really them. No, you're not doing it a It feels like it afterwards, but yeah, it's not, it's not a workout in the classic sense of. So doing, uh, and the, the sauna, I've read a little bit about the sauna stuff too. Um, if you're in a sauna uh, post-workout, so 10 to 15 sessions lasting 20 to 30 minutes directly after exercise is sufficient for improving heat tolerance and boosting endurance with studies demonstrating non-trivial improvements in cyclists as well as runners. So you yeah. had done some of that in the hot tub. You can also do it in a sauna. Both work. Um, I feel like you yeah. didn't. You didn't feel like Paula that last time you did it that it was as. You didn't feel like it was that beneficial, right? Like that was what your your gut told you. Told you. For me personally, yeah. I, I mean, I just showed in the race. I was terrible at Dallas, so. but it was so hot. Trying something hot, different. Though. It was so hot. Um, yeah, but then, some people won the race. I didn't. Yeah, right, right. Some people <laughs> had a little bit extra help winning their race. Ooh. That's true. <laughs> One person. Anyway, anyway. Let's not um, get into doping now. And then, <laughs> that's right. And then, uh, that's so funny. Um, so then the other two things are, are something called pre-cooling and hyperhydration. So pre-cooling is like, if the race hasn't started yet, do everything you can to stay cool, right? Don't let yourself yep. get hot beforehand. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, if you're if it's hot Basic. already- don't keep your wetsuit all the way zipped up and on, right? Keep it at your waist as long as possible so you can stay cool as long as possible. Um, and then if it's, depending on what kind of race it is, if you have access to like a bag of like ice packs or something, you can put in your kit. Um, or like some people do like pantyhose with like like literal like ice chips in them that they put down their back. That kind of stuff can help a lot. Um, and then make sure that when you're going into races that are hot, you are super hydrated beforehand, like hyper hydrated. Um, and you can do that by mixing in sodium with your water going in the day, the days before and make sure that you're hydrating really well during the race too. Cause that's how you're cooling yourself off with your sweat. And, and the more humid it is, the harder it is to cool yourself off with your sweat, but it still stands to be super hydrated going into those hot races. Yep. Um, you're never going to catch up in the race if yep, you're dehydrated. You, exactly. Start. You'll never catch up. Um, Thank you, so, scientist Nick. Yeah, that research. Yeah. So that's, I'm, I'm just regurgitating what I read from that article. Um, well, I think it, it sounds right to me. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so thank you for that question, Jason. Good luck. Um, it's going to be fun. It'll be a fun weekend with the PTO race happening and the national championships happening at the same time. <laughs> Eric, uh, Eric disagrees. <laughs> um, okay. PTO so, races are just like stress in a nutshell. Well, of course, like, that, oh that's why God. they're so, if you're that's why they're the so epic. Your race, it's probably pretty fun. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the pro races the, are like, oh my God. The oh national God, championship, oh God, oh God. whatever will be fun. But oh my God, the PTO races. Oh my God. Next question. Yikes. Yikes. Next, <laughs> next question. Next question here. Moving on before we fall into delirium. Um, from Timothy here. Hello, all. I have so much to say and thank you, uh, but there is definitely not enough time or space to put that in one email. In short, I don't need to say this, do I? I'll read it to you guys. In short, you three have become my friends that understand me during my growth into this sport. Your voices give me confidence and comfort that I need as I'm getting ready for my first race, 70.3 Santa Cruz. Thank you for all uh, that you do and who you all are. That's sweet. That and that race is sweet. Yeah. Um, Eric's reigning champion, by the way. Uh, okay, so the question is, about water temperature and... Ear no, the question is, do I use earplugs under my cap for race day? Is there a perfect swim cap? Do I just tough out the awkward feeling? What's the best approach for an age grouper looking to just enjoy the race and not let silly distractions thwart it? I really hate water in my ears, but if you tell me I have to tough it out, that's what I'll do. LOL. Timothy. No, it's crazy. I read this question on 
the email. And the next question was the same question from a different person about water in their ears during swimming. What? And I was like, I've never had this problem before or heard about it, but it must be a thing. Maybe for people that are like relatively new to swimming or. Right. I mean, I like I always get out of the water and I have water in my ears. So they kind of need to shake out, but I, I don't process it at it all while swimming. It doesn't bug me while I'm swimming. And also I'm wondering if earplugs are even like impermeable enough that they would they are. actually not let water in. Oh, they are. Those okay. wax earplugs. I've, I've, I don't use them, but I know people who do use them and they 100% work. Okay. Or and feel is like it an the ear purpose? infection. The purpose is for swimming. Mm. Okay. They make them one just time for I swimming. Had an, I had an ear infection and I had to wear earplugs once growing up and I was like actually claustrophobic. That's yeah, the problem. I feel it felt like so weird. Part of this, the sound of swimming and like the water throwing, flowing past your ears and stuff like that gives you a sense of balance when flip turning. And I just, I agree. I think it would be really weird to not be able to hear. Um, so unless it's like hurting. No, unless the water is painful, then I would just try to get used to not used having to the feeling. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to disagree here and say that if the whole point here is that this person is really uncomfortable with water in their ears, the, the whole point of the earplugs is to be comfortable for him. Why yeah. not? You know, go for it. And True. I don't think there's anything wrong with using it in the race and then just taking him out in, in T1, especially if you're there to have fun. I agree. Yeah. The That's only thing is like, I, I don't love the idea of not being able to hear well in a, in a race scenario where there's, where your safety can come into question. Yeah. But, that's the one thing. But I think the reason Eric's shaking his head here is because like, we're very swim purists growing up as swimmers. And for that reason, we don't really wear the form goggles because we like the pace clock and like all these kind of more modern things that have come into play and really help a lot of people we can't adapt to easily. So that's your thing with earplugs probably. But Nick's right about like, if the whole point is enjoyment and avoiding discomfort. Well, then also don't try her very hard on the bike because that's uncomfortable too. Oh God, Eric. Don't, don't do any run workouts. Well, I, in, I, see what, I, see, I see what you mean, Eric. I see what you mean. And we've this has kind of come up before of like, you know, people who want to be able to draft in a race. And it's like, I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to have a good time. It's like, oh, well, this is a competition. And that's not fair. But I feel like earplugs, they're a little bit like, it's like, okay, well then why wear body glide? You know, like it's going to chafe. Yeah, well, that's part of the race. Not really, you know? And that's what I feel about yeah. earplugs. It's like, so I, it's, it's so outside of performance. It feels like that if it's going to make you more comfortable, I, I I, think it's worth it. But I do get where you're coming yeah. from with it. I'm just saying like the 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 cons, if it's like, a, if it's kind of uncomfortable and weird, are like not worth doing it because of the safety thing and like the weird orientation thing. But if it's like actually hurts or is like that uncomfortable, then sure, fine, whatever. Does it actually block out all noise, Nick? Have you tried these? No, it doesn't block out all noise. It's just like any okay. earplugs, right? There's plenty of sound that enters your eardrum, not through your ear canal, like just through your yeah. skin and your bones and your head and stuff. Oh, right. Okay. Perfect swim cap is a TTL swim cap. That's right. That's another, another thing I'd say is like experimenting with different swim caps that maybe cover your ears better or something. Like swim caps do come in different sizes. And maybe if you get a bigger one that covers all the way down to your earlobe, it might alleviate some of the water coming in. I don't know. Definitely. And so you could you could double cap, right? You could put that big, nice swim cap yeah. underneath it. And then you can you have to put a race the race cap on over it. Over top. Yeah, but that's fine. So take the take the amateur advice who's never won a race, uh, <laughs> or take the professional who literally won the race you're gonna do last year. <laughs> Nick, I, there was a question for you, one of the questions for you. I don't know if I put it in, but someone was like, "How good of an age grouper are you?" You Nick? did put it in, but I didn't. I didn't include it. Okay, well, some people are wondering, like people, you're, yeah. yeah, you're an amateur in your own words. In your own words, how good are you? How good are you? Relative um, to the field, top 20%, top 10%, top um, 50%. In like a local race, I'll be like top 1%. Because I'll like, win? So you're like vying for the podium overall <laughs> at a yeah, local race. Yeah, usually I'm trying to go for an overall podium in a local race. So I like, okay. So for example, in San Diego, it was like 380 people. I was fourth. All right. Um, so then uh, 70.3 Santa Cruz. 70.3 Santa Cruz, I would not be fourth. <laughs> um, I'd be top 5%. Um, for in that. your age group or overall? Overall. So, so from age group, yeah. not top five, less, uh, worse than that, because it's a very fast age group. 30, 30 to huge. 34 male is like one of the fastest what's your age best, groups. What's your best like overall finish in a 70.3 then? Ooh, I don't have that number handy. Like in, like in the twenties maybe? No, I would say I'm like, 
I'm not even top 10 in my age group at a 70.3, okay. sadly. Uh, last question. Have you qualified for 70.3 Worlds? Um, it's, that's a, it's an elusive goal. And I don't know if it's possible for me, but no, I have not. And that is very much something I would love to happen. I mean, when I first messaged you, Eric, years ago, yeah. I told you that that was something I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Nick, the only solution to this is just to keep getting older. It'll keep getting easier. Dude, I plan on doing this when I'm 80. So okay. I You'll hope everyone it. else drops off <laughs> and I'm the only and one that, still doing it. That is what we love about Nick, everyone, is that he truly loves this sport, would do it even if he sucked at it. What do you mean even if? He, gets, I, happy, he gets happy on bike rides, happy on runs, just and, yeah. golden retriever, loves every minute. That's right. And yeah, Nick is on the upper echelon of amateur athletes, but I would say that he does still bring perspective of totally all age groupers compared to Eric and I. Especially since I don't think I, like both of you have a very much a natural gift and I don't want to disrespect the natural gifts that I may have, but they're nothing compared to what you guys have. Um, I don't want to disrespect my mom and dad. Well, no, it's more like, it's more like, I don't want to say I don't have a natural gift. And then someone else looks at me and they're like, you are are way naturally gifted compared to me. And that makes them feel bad about themselves. Yeah, of course. So I, I, I just know what it's like to be kind of average and have to like look up stuff online. Like, okay, how do you do this? How do you, how do I do this better? Different training plans. Whereas I think for you guys, Maybe you have done some of that, but also a little bit of that has been done for you because you have coaches and you're on USA Triathlon helped you with this stuff. And you've like been a, a all-star athlete for a long time. Yeah. Our perspective is different for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next question here. Hey team. Thanks for the incredibly thoughtful, authentic, and consistent content. And a big congratulations to Paula and Eric on the engagement. I've been a follower since the COVID times and got stoked for every podcast and vlog drop. Awesome. Um, I myself work in professional sports, serving as a sports scientist for a professional baseball organization. In my free time, I'm an avid mountain biker in the Phoenix area, cyclist, runner, lifter, all of the things. But I don't compete and lately have been yearning to direct myself towards a hobby that isn't quite so related to my career, i.e. training, data collection, athletic monitoring, etc. Inspired by Eric's work over the years, I recently picked up a Fujifilm X-T32 and have been practicing daily to better my photography skills. I would love someday to recreationally photograph endurance athletes like yourself, XC mountain bikers, and the like. Any tips or advice for someone like myself who is looking to up their action photography game? Thanks for all that you do, Ryan and Ellie, the one-year-old basset hound. Nice. So what do you think, Eric? What can we come up with that's a good, like some good kind of tips for action photography? I mean, the thing that I usually tell people when they're asking about how to get better is is exactly what she's already doing, and that's practicing a lot. Like the instant feedback that you can get with digital cameras these days of you go out and you take a bunch of pictures and then you can put them into Lightroom instantly and go, oh, this this light from this way was not good and the way I exposed this was not good and I really wish I could wish I would turn the camera, tilted it up just a little bit more. Those are all things that you can like make a mental note of and practicing that day in and day out is, I mean, that's the pathway to becoming better. And then like the other thing that I like to do is I just follow on Instagram. That's, yeah. Like the photographers that I really respect. If I've seen a, a cycling shot that I love, like I'll just follow that photographer and I see everything that you do and you internalize that a little bit and you can look at those pictures and like, why do I like this so much? Is it because it's high contrast? Is it because the sun is coming from a weird way, et cetera? Exactly. That's what I was going to say is is like using your eye critically when you're looking at someone else's work and trying to figure out what you like about it and yeah. try to figure out how to implement it. And Eric, you, you know, we send each other these things all the time on Instagram. And how often is it that, the stuff that we are excited by is just a really well done photo. It's not just well done. There's also something off. There's something yeah. different about it. That's what boring action photography is just using the action in the frame to create the excitement. What we like yeah. is when there's something else that's that's special and different and off, you know? There's intrigue or a story. Like the picture has to tell a story. Yes, that's the element that I think is often missing from action photography is like there's no emotion other than what what the action is, right? It's like you want something else that tells a story there. Yeah. Um, My top recommendations would be Ashley Gruber and Jared Gruber for Instagram follows for like wildly intriguing images that uh, of cycling that are just 
uh, like show the sport in a way that you have not seen before. If you don't already follow them, follow them and that'll be inspiring to you. Cool. And that camera is awesome, by the way. I was actually watching a video on it today. The Fujifilm, it has like, um, people are going crazy about it because it has all these built-in film emulation things that you yep, can just shoot. Just skip Lightroom. Yep, just skip Lightroom and just shoot native uh, on the camera. And like people are just shooting in JPEG and then just they just use the JPEG straight out of the camera. That's yeah, that's the whole thing. Cool. You guys, as you're talking about cameras, I'm looking at my Strava ride from today. My max speed was 73 kilometers an hour. We're hauling coming Paula, down. Paula, you don't even drive that fast. I know. That's is that possible quick. or is that like a glitch in my Wahoo? Mine said 71.1, so mine was probably 73 because a couple of times I'd yo-yoed and I had to catch you. Yeah, that's quite um, fast, Paula. On your on your TT bike? Well, I was on my TT bike. So back up. Uh, we did this workout where Paula had to do like a bunch of reps with short recoveries. So we did it basically just riding up Mount Bachelor. And I was like trying to film her. Heather was sitting on her wheel and then Zach and Ellie were doing work. I was trying to like film everybody all at the same time. But then I reconnected with Heather and Paula at the top. And then I just got arrow and like motor paced them all the way back down the mountain. Yeah, like over 40 mile an hour average. 47 miles an hour was my top speed. Yeah, girl. There's a definitely a point in time where you would not have done that. I know. I think I'm getting better on my TT bike because I'm riding it so much. I've literally done a hard TT ride every other day. Have we mentioned that you are, do we want to mention that you're doing uh, Worlds? Did we mention that? I yeah, we remember. can mention that. Although I didn't mean to hijack this and make it about me, this question. Well, no, it's fun. We like it. We like it. Yeah, I'm going to the UCI World Championships for the TT. You're representing Canada. Representing Canada. Whoa. I wasn't sure if I'd get picked because I didn't do the road race. And I'm so new to the Cycling Canada world. But yeah, they selected me to go and I'm training really hard for it. And part of that is just getting comfortable on the TT bike, which is always yeah. a work in progress for me. But the course is quite technical. It's quite twisty. And obviously the competition's going to be leveled up from nationals. Yeah. So I'm, uh, yeah, taking it pretty seriously. I am still going to race Milwaukee, which is only five days before. But I splurged on business class tickets and hopefully I can kind of get on the time zone and recon the course when I get there and uh, race well. So. Is anyone we'll you know going to be there? Eric? The guy who got uh, the guy who got second in my mountain bike race is going to be racing mountain bike cross country. Yeah, it's actually UCI oh. Worlds for like every oh, cycling sport. Wow. So there's like BMX, mountain bike, road, track, like everything's in Glasgow. And yeah, you ask if I know anyone racing, any cyclist you follow in the world is going to be racing. Right, right, right. Like right. my idols. So it's going to be really cool, not just to race, but also to kind of watch some of the events that are going on. We're Do you have any hopes or expectations? Or are you just going to go there? And Zero just, hopes or expectations. Yeah. I mean, obviously I have hopes, but I have no clue what to expect from a results perspective. And I think that's kind of a nice way to go into things. Super underdoggy and super just like willing to learn and observe and... I don't know, get some kind of benchmark. I've only done two time trials in my entire <laughs> life and they were right. both at nationals. <laughs> right, right. So it's a whole different world, but yeah, I'm excited. Okay, next question here is from Andrew. Hi, Eric, Paula, Nick, and Flynn. Andrew from Liverpool, UK here. Love all that you guys do from the podcast to the videos. I raced my third 70.3 race last weekend, Outlaw Triathlon in the UK. Got the chance to wear my new TTL tri suit that came two days before and loved it. Let's go. Wanted to ask about run speed off the bike. First of all, we usually say nothing new on race day, but if it's a TTL kit, I might make an exception for that. That's fine. 100%. It's um, great. You will not regret it. Um, my main strength is running, but almost every time I do a triathlon, I seem to really struggle with this part. I'm still faster than a lot of people out in the course, but nowhere near as fast as I think I should be. I'm putting this down to pushing extra hard each time on the swim and the bike to improve those, but wanted to know what you feel like the best way to improve that run speed is. We we were talking about this before. Uh, we have a few ideas, but maybe, Paula, what would you say? If your run is suffering compared to your standalone run? Yeah, I mean, what could be leading to that? Because I have had experiences with this myself. Yeah. Um, well, the easy answer, which Nick, you actually said was bike fitness and even swim fitness. I've, I always say a lot of the reason Eric and I go to the pool every day and swim 5k is not to necessarily get faster at swimming. 
because I don't think I'm ever going to be faster than I was when I was 14. But it's so that the bike and the run take less. The swim takes less out of you for the bike and the run. Similar idea for the bike when you're thinking about the run is if you're fitter on the bike and you're pacing it better and you're fueling better, the run will go better. So sometimes getting faster on the run doesn't mean running more. It means actually biking more, which is kind of It's a little counterintuitive, but I love that. Yeah, Yeah. or just slowing down at your current bike fitness. So you just... You're overbiking. Yeah, overbiking maybe. Like my my run times actually don't if I'm injured for like a month and I can't run, but I'm biking so much and swimming a lot, I get back to a race and my run times are never that different. So That's amazing. I think you can it's it's very much like more fitness related when it comes to triathlon than yeah. foot speed or track workouts or like anything like that. Yeah, in a 70.3 or even an Olympic distance triathlon, you're so far away from your ultimate leg speed potential, your maximum speed, right? Right. It's more about fitness and how muscular strength and endurance. Yeah. I've I've found that other than, I mean, I've talked about this a lot in the podcast. For me, fueling was a problem. And by the time I got to the run, I was really depleted and I didn't know that because it didn't necessarily feel like I was depleted. It just felt like my fitness was gone. You too, Paula. yeah. 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 So fueling well and like trying to maximize how many carbs you can get in per hour, you know, how much you, your body can accept has been a really helpful thing for me to get better. But also something that for me made a huge difference, I, I believe, was increasing my bike volume a lot. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think people like to think that, oh, if I'm at 90% of FTP or whatever for an hour, it's going to have the same effect no matter what my FTP is. But I, I, if you're more fit, that percentage of FTP that you're at can take more or less out of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these guys like in the Tour de France, when they're at like high percentages of their FTP, they can hold it for such a long time. Um, I think that's that's something that maybe gets overlooked a little bit. Like doing a lot of bike volume, is it, it may not raise your, your one hour potential, but it will really make you so much more resilient when you are out there for a long time on the bike. And I think that could play a big role in making you a faster runner off the bike. Yeah, yep. I think that's true. Bike volume and doing like a couple of really big bike weeks, like we did in Flagstaff and stuff, like, I don't know, 15, 16 hours yep. is super beneficial. And it's not all hard riding. In fact, most of it isn't. Oh, definitely not. So yeah. that really has like a physiological benefit, I think. I, I just, don't, I've never felt fitter than when I was doing a lot of volume. Like I always bike, thought yeah. that, I always thought that doing you know, intensity and quality is what was going to make me really fit. But yeah, man, just a lot of volume for me, uh, swimming, biking, and running is when I felt the fittest and strongest and most like bulletproof yeah. on the race course. And I, I think you can periodize it. So maybe there's this period of the year where you're doing the super high volume and then obviously the intensity is important as well. So it's it's more of like a lifestyle. Is it even possible to right, ride that right, much right, and train right, that much and right, fit it right, in around your right. life? So there, I'm not saying like, you need to do high volume all the time, but if you can kind of focus a couple of weeks or a month throughout the year with that, I think it would, you'd notice a big difference. Yeah. I think both of those are are good, like solutions to that problem though, especially if you're a good runner and you're finding yeah. that there's a big disconnect there. Just run less. Honestly, if you're a good runner, run less, bike more. Run, run less, bike more. <laughs> um, okay. Well, those are all the questions that we had for this week. Um, I, our advice would be check out the Color Black collection on on our on our website. Uh, we're going to put a link below to the website, and we'll also put a link below to the Foreign Rider film that came out last week. Let me clarify, Nick. Those are that's not all the questions we had. That's all the questions we have time for. Yes, actually, we I even picked left two out. more questions, and yeah. then there's a bunch more in the emails that we don't use. Yeah, no, we we always get plenty of questions. Not to say that we don't want all of your questions. Uh, we yeah, do want I, them I will all. say. If we don't answer them and you really want it answered, just like email me again. A lot of the time we'll see a good one, but I might think, oh, we may have answered that already. It's it's really hard to sift through them. So don't be afraid to like email me twice. Yeah. I don't know if you're opening up a, a, a can of whoop ass that you don't want to open up there, Paula, but <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's on you. I don't mind sifting through the questions. It's okay. Good. So we got a new Frisbee for Flynn and it's supposed to be indestructible. Eric hasn't seen it yet. Wow. We're so gonna, indestructible, they say. 
It's 9 p.m. and we have a date with Flynn. So Flynn we got to go. We'll put wow. this frisbee to the test. Yeah. Like Flynn, when he has a floppy frisbee, he'll just like mouth it. Yes. Like it feels yes. so good. And I want to yeah. just like f-ing rip it up. But this frisbee <laughs> is like, it's like hard. So I'm interesting to see how Eric feels it flies. Because right. Eric is really picky about like the airtime. Oh, he's so, a disc bro. He's a disc golf yeah. bro. Well, I want to have. I want to enjoy the frisbee session as well. It's not all about Flynn, you know. Yeah, we have like about- a good dynamic where I'm trying to get it just right, where he can get to it and jump into the air and catch it. Oh, I see. It's a you know, it's a dance. So we'll get back to you. It's the it's a chuck it brand. When Paula buys a frisbee, she has to buy it for her two dogs, not just for Flynn. <laughs> has to I bought this both with of both of my dogs in mind. The dogs. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Well, we'll be back next week, and there's a chance we might have uh, a guest on the podcast next week. We'll see. You have to tune yeah, we in have to a see special guests next week. Maybe even two special guests. Maybe we'll even see. two. Yeah, they play their cards right. Yeah, that's we'll right. See. That's right. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.